Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, Wanderers. Welcome back to the Lore of the Rings podcast. I'm here with Jason Densil, who is a fantasy author and expert on all things Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. We'll dig into that just a little bit more a little later on. But welcome, Jason. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Aaron. I'm really glad to be here. So why don't you, you uh, take a minute or two and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, what you have to offer for a Lord of the Rings podcast. Yeah, I'm sure that right now people are scratching their heads and, uh, and wondering, wheel of time, wait a minute, I thought I was listening to a Lord of the Rings podcast. And I think there's a little bit of uh, interesting overlap and there's some, uh, there's some fun things there. So, um, yeah, I've been a fan of the Lord of the Rings, both the books and the movies for a long time. I um, was in college 20 years ago when I read the books for the first time, the, the Lord of the Rings for the first time, The Hobbit. And then that was around the time that the movies were in production. And I got out of college right around the time that they um, premiered. And about that same time, in addition to being a big Lord of the Rings fan, I was uh, reading the Wheel of Time series, which is another popular epic fantasy series, you know, that is, uh, I'll say, descended from Lord of the Rings, if you will, by uh, the late Robert Jordan. And at the time, this was 1998, 25 years ago. And I was uh, in college learning to make websites. At the time, there were uh, seven Wheel of Time books out, and the eighth one was about to be published. And I was rereading the series and I was away at school and I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. And so I made a website, um, somehow cobbled together um, some forums and the, uh, the website, dragonmount.com, um, took off right away. And so 25 years later, it remains uh, to this day, one of the big premier uh, fan communities surrounding that, uh, that series. Uh, Robert Jordan died in 2007. And he left the series incomplete. And then another author who has since gone on to become immensely popular, Brandon Sanderson, came in and finished that, that book series. And so um, over the years, I, I had the opportunity to get to know Robert Jordan. I had an opportunity. I've had a chance to become friends with Brandon and with uh, you know, other people involved in the series. At one point, I was briefly a, um, a consultant for a movie adaptation of the series, and I've just been in the mix for 25 years with all things Wheel of Time. And so it's been a real joy recently in that I picked up a copy of The Lord of the Rings, and I read it with my teenage son. And it had been the first time in all those years that I had gone back and read the books. Of course, I've seen the movie a million times, and I uh, I enjoyed the the Rings of Power TV show, but it was fun to sit down and, and read the books um, again with my son. And, and after that, after we finished it, I wanted to explore the wider world, um, which was right around the time the show was coming out. And that's how I found your show. Thank you. Thank you. That's a great, that's a great intro. Um, and for our listeners who may not be familiar with Wheel of Time, that is uh, there. How many books total is there? There's like 12 
books. Uh, there's more than that. There, oh, oh there's, boy. Yeah, there, there's 14 main sequence novels telling one continuous story. What's crazy is that only spans like three years total, three or four years total, I think. Oh, wow. Um, across all 14 books, it, you know, featuring all the same characters, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, a growing cast as the book goes on, the books go on. I read one Wheel of Time book um, back in the day and and decided that was that was enough for me. So I'm I'm impressed that you've read all of the main story and more and and not only once but multiple times. So that's a that's no small feat. So congratulations to you on that. By and large, and these are two franchises, um, two two legendariums mm-hmm. that span that have a lot of similarities. Robert Jordan, without a doubt, was was immensely influenced by Tolkien. Um, I remember listening on to another one of your episodes with when you had another guest and you were talking about how, you know, Tolkien is like Mount Fuji. So, you know, that, that George R. R. Martin mm-hmm. quote is saying it's always in the background of every other fantasy story mm-hmm. looms large. And it's true. Uh, Robert Jordan and authors like David Eddings and Terry Brooks, uh, you know, mm-hmm. all are like the the generation that came after Tolkien. And, you know, after the Silmarillion was published, there was a big hunger for more fantasy literature. And when lots of authors came to the table and some with great success and some others with lesser success tried to emulate what J.R. Tolkien had done. But in my view, in the view of a lot of people, it really wasn't until Robert Jordan showed up um, in the late in the early 90s really with the publication of the first book in 1990 that he really evolved that story and i think the the addition that that robert jordan brought to it that was if you imagine like you're taking uh lord of the rings and a wider legendarium Mm -hmm. and then apply a heavy dose of king arthur apply a heavy dose of uh, the story of, of a messiah into it and you know the pros and cons of something like that and that starts and also a heavy dose of having women in the story mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, that felt like an evolution of the conversation if fantasy mm-hmm. literature is yeah. an ongoing conversation robert jordan was i think the next big step in that and yeah. that continues on today you know i mentioned brendan sanderson who of course is doing you know, his own amazing stuff that's probably uh, maybe a lot of your viewers have, have listened to. There's so many other um, fantasy writers that are continuing that tradition as well. You've published a, a handful of, of fantasy books as well, um, and you're, you're starting to enter into that conversation. So how has sort of Tolkien's writing, how has his work influenced you as you've stepped into that role of, of continuing the conversation as a fantasy author? Well, he certainly looms large. And again, you know, when I, so I've written three books, um, uh, a complete trilogy, the Mystic Trilogy, um, that's available through Tor Books. Those books were written before I reread Tolkien. So it's hard for me to pinpoint a direct influence, but of course that looms large. We're, we're, it's a fantasy world and there's magic and, you know, <laughs> there's, you know, all the, the staples, you know, wizards, t- I've got, you know, wizard towers, I've got, you know, magical, mystical mountains, and I've got, um, you know, all sorts of strange creatures and all these things that um, Tolkien brought forth from our collective myths and legends and tried mm-hmm. to intentionally create into a documented fictional story. And that's what we're all 
doing now. Um, I largely think in terms of influence, uh, the influences on me, when I look at character, maybe not the specifics of the character, but trying to understand like, you know, why in the Lord of the Rings, you know, what makes Samwise so special? Like, why do you just love that guy to death? Yeah. And I, and I, um, you know, what is it about Merry and Pippin that are so compelling? You know, when, when Pippin knocks over, you know, the, the, uh, um, you know, the, Skeleton, the skeleton into the and well it, yeah. and you know and Gandalf's full of a took and it's like that's such <laughs> a great moment such an iconic moment and mm -hmm. how do you i and so i think a lot about like how do i capture an idea like that not straight up copying mm -hmm. the ideas or the beat or the moment but i try to think you know these are the characters that are so special when i'm writing I'm, i want to craft people that you care about and that yeah. you and that we can relate to We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Now, you mentioned the Silmarillion just a minute ago, um, and, and I think you are reading it for the first time. Where are you in the Silmarillion? What do you think? Is it what you expected? Are you surprised at all? Tell us about the Silmarillion. I have been absolutely blown away by this book. I, I thought it was, I had heard, of course, that it was a dense read. I went into it expecting almost, not an encyclopedia per se, but I expected it to be really, really dry. And I was amazed at how compelling the narrative is, even if it isn't a, you know, a beat by beat, you know, line by line, you know, mm. uh, traditional story, but mm. I'm, I'm hooked on this right now. And just last night, I'm, I'm in the midst of the Baron and Luthien story. Oh, I'm yes. right, right in the midst of that. Now I've been listening to your podcast and I, I know how this story ends. I know the gist of it. I had kind of known the gist of it beforehand. So it wasn't, I usually am very spoiler adverse, but in this case, I didn't mind having the spoilers and having your podcast to kind of explain it because I didn't get all the details, but I knew enough of what was coming that when I was reading it, it helped me have this frame of reference. One of the big things that I have loved about this story, and I know it's the heart of the story. And I, you know, before this, I was, more or less just a very passionate fan of the movies who had read the books years ago. So I felt like I knew right. you know, the Lord of the Rings a lot. I certainly did. I certainly knew the movies very well, but a lot of the, you know, the deeper lore eluded me or I only kind of knew, you know, bits and pieces of it. And one of the mysteries that I always kind of wondered about is like, what exactly is up with, why are the elves leaving middle earth in the movies mm. why is it sad that they are leaving why do, why are they fading why is it the age of man now i didn't understand that until i started reading this book it has been amazing to me this underlying theme of the idea that the elves are immortal 
and the men are well some of them are jealous of that and that you know Mm -hmm. and that it all comes back to that one group was given this immortality and another was not and there's pros and cons to each one yep and Mm -hmm. that is kind of one of the driving that's certainly probably the driving conflict of the second age and Mm -hmm. you see it emerging here in the first age and so that whole story coming um coming forth has been so exciting to me i I love the story of Fenor and crafting the Silmarils and the doom of Mandos and all these things that are surrounding it. that that's been something that has just been amazing. I think here I am, you know, in my forties and, you know, um, crafting my own books now and and doing this and I am getting a, a masterclass in world building from, you know, uh, from Tolkien. I'm very grateful that, you know, that I am experiencing it now. I've had, I've been, you know, the school of, of Jordan for so many years and mm-hmm. learning immense amounts from that and from other authors, of course. But for whatever reason, I was able to save Tolkien's deep dive and seeing how he crafted these books. That's been amazing. One uh, one other thing, too, is that in as I'm reading the uh, um, the story of Baron and Luthien, I also have the book Baron and Luthien that was published mm, on its yeah. own. Mm-hmm. And I've been reading them in parallel because the the book, you know, for the for your listeners who may not be familiar, in addition to the story that's in, you know, the, the Silmarillion, um, the uh, they also there's lots of versions of yes, Baron different drafts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he the different drafts. You know, he um, Tolkien wrote this you know, as you've talked about on your show. You know, he the, the first inklings we have of this story you know he wrote when he was in his 20s in world war one mm-hmm. and then of course it evolved over the years and so a lot of those drafts are available and they were collected together in different forms in uh in a book called baron and luthien that was published you know, in the you know 2017 or something like that right. and so um and so i've been reading them together and it's really interesting this like you know in uh in one version you know the early versions baron was an elf and in the, mm-hmm. the official canon version, he's a man. And it's yep. interesting to see like how that story evolved. And as yeah. a writer myself, I have found that interesting. And also, it's a little bit of a relief because I'm like, okay, well, I'm not the only person, the only other author who changes his mind midway oh. through and has to go back and change things. Yeah. Tolkien was notorious for that. I mean, he held such a high standard for himself, right? That he would he would write these drafts and then he'd go back through and rewrite and rethink and rewrite and rethink. And I don't know if you've come across um, this book right here. It's called The, N- the Nature of Middle-Earth. But uh, this was published just about last year, and it's got even more drafts to it. And one of the things that, as, that I take away when I read Nature of Middle-Earth is just how painstakingly precise Tolkien wanted to be about things. Like, he would draw, here's how the sun goes over the land, and here's how the moon goes over the land. And does that fit? Does that actually make scientific sense within my world? Like he was so precise about those things. And so he would go back to his drafts and just nitpick himself. He was so just precision on that. So yeah, as a fantasy author, he definitely went through those drafts for sure. And I don't know if you've gotten to the part in that Baron and Luthien story. It's been a while since I actually read the book, but there's one version where when they come to Morgoth, they have to like go through like these cats or something. There's like these queen of cats can't remember exactly but yeah i, I yeah. haven't gotten there yet but okay. I, I read about it um in the 
in the introduction to the Baron and Luthien book, Christopher Tolkien mentions that there's like a queen of cats. And I was like, what? Yes. And uh -huh. so I Googled yes. it and I was like, huh, that is the weirdest thing. So. Well, um, there's this really offhand reference that Aragorn makes at some point in the books. And I can't remember where it is, but he makes some reference to like, we'll run away like Queen Baruthiel's cats or something like that. And there's oh, like, really? that's, that's it. That's like the only <laughs> reference. It. But then you like you go to one of those drafts of Baron and Luthien and it's like, oh, that's maybe what he was thinking about. But who knows, right? It was a draft, so who knows? But yeah, that that care and detail and that meticulousness is yeah, is readily apparent. And and it is amazing. And you know, span over the course of 50 years. And I have a all new respect for Christopher Tolkien, who yes. you know, would talk about in some of these, you know, and his forewords and other things, how like you know, he started doing this after his father died, which I guess I didn't realize. I always thought that he collaborated mm -hmm. with his father before, but no, he began it after the fact. There were notes from everywhere. You know, there he would mm -hmm. have drafts yep. written on paper and then erased and then written on top of the same paper. Yep. And then maybe on someone's test grade, you know, yep. some assignment from another box in another room found another year later some oxford some class of... schedule or something right yeah. yeah who knows but the story that goes that he wrote the hobbit he was doing exam papers mm -hmm. he was grading exams and a student had left a page empty in the exam book and so he turns the page and just writes in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit yeah boom I've always, out I've of always nowhere right another thing i found interesting is that you know it seemed like tolkien in certainly in his um in, in, I'll say in his youth, his 20s, his 30s, his 40s, or whatever, he had all these ideas for different book projects. And um, like, you know, that he wanted to write a, I, I learned recently that he wanted to write a novel about uh, this the lost city of Atlantis. Mm -hmm. And that he actually, it had a title and he began writing it. And that was where the idea of Numenor came mm -hmm. um, from. And then when he couldn't make it work, by itself, he just kind of lumped it in to yeah. his already expanding world of you know, the Baron and Luthien world, which had become the Morgoth world, which had become the, you know, and slowly everything kind of came together in that in that way. And I think the hobbits that you mentioned were also intended to do that. Like he started off writing the Hobbit, he wasn't necessarily thinking, I think. I mean, I, I get the impression that when the story of the Hobbit wasn't necessarily going to be something that was lumped into the middle earth saga that he was mm -hmm. creating mm -hmm. it was hobbits aren't even it mentioned or part of his first age and second age stories it's kind of show up and he made it work after i think he talks about that in uh the prologue to the lord of the rings i think he talks about yeah. just mm -hmm. sticking them together yep making it work which together. is brilliant which is great you get these great ideas sometimes and they independently arise you make them work and that's something else that i can relate to is you know i've got one idea over here and one idea over here and they just kind of stew in the background and suddenly it dawns on me like hey this would be great if i were to put it into my current project i kind of steal for myself and in his case it seems like everything that he worked on eventually he got to gel together mostly har uh, mostly harmoniously yeah it's interesting to think like all of these things sort of came to him in bits and pieces and then he would kind of realize, oh, I can connect these together. And he'd kind of go back and do some revisions. If you look at the lens of it all is one great whole. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's amazing to me how much of it makes sense, even though it didn't all come out, you know, yes. A to Z 
from the beginning to the end. It didn't all come out in chronological order, but yeah. And I wonder how much of that, um, you know, kind of thinking a lot, and maybe this is answered. I'm sure that there are experts who, you know, um, other people that you can perhaps have on, on your show <laughs> and, um, you know, in addition to yourself, but I wonder how much of that is due to Christopher Tolkien being able to kind of smooth out those edges for us. Right. To, you right. know, um, you know, for instance, um, you know, uh, Christopher has talked about, and you have talked about in your show about how um, Galadriel is the character that doesn't quite have the most cohesive story start to finish. There's a bunch, you know, there's mm -hmm. discrepancies throughout the different versions of Galadriel mm -hmm. out there. And, I found that really interesting when I heard that I, I heard the first on your, on your podcast, I heard about that. I thought, huh, that's really cool. Cause she's such an important character, certainly in the new TV show and everything. And so I was curious, like, what is her story? So I did a deep dive in down in with Galadriel and for a couple of days to kind of, you know, mm -hmm. get to understand what was going on. And, and it's true. It seems like, you know, that he, she was a, he was, she was a character that he made up on the spot. And then later he had all these ideas and these ideas evolved and she went from being generic, you know, elven sorceress to being this really complex character who had a role in so much and ends up being the chief, you know, across three ages, the ultimate, you know, nemesis of Sauron, which is yeah. a really big character arc. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. Let's see. We've mentioned Rings of Power. We've danced around that a little bit, the, the Amazon TV show. I want to go there. But before we do, you are a Wheel of Time expert. You're a Robert Jordan expert. And uh, Amazon also did an adaptation for Wheel of Time. Now, I, I watched that series. I, you know, I, I'm not necessarily a Wheel of Time expert, but I watched that sort of with an apprehensive view, you might say. Um, I wanted to know how, are they, how is Amazon going to approach this huge body of fantasy work? How are they going to approach that in terms of adaptation, in terms of accuracy to, to the author's themes and vision and works? I couldn't tell whether or not it was canon or not, right? I, I wasn't that expert, but give me your sort of assessment. Like on a scale of one to 10, 10 being Amazon nailed it 100% and one being Amazon just trashed it. Where would you put the series of Wheel of Time as a whole? That's a great question because I think that the, um, first of all, I think both shows, both the Wheel of Time on, uh, on Amazon and Rings of Power, um, they very much feel like sibling projects. They have a lot of the, uh, you know, Wayne Yip is a, was a director on on both shows. Mm -hmm. um, they have a similar um, vibe in a way that came out around the same time, and you know the same um, the same executives at the studio were overseeing them. So, um, you know, there there was there was a there was overlap there, right? For Wheel of Time, um, I usually for the season one. Um, oh, oh no! Also, also, and very importantly, both of them were filmed, were impacted by COVID in a big way. They were in the middle of right. filming their mm -hmm. first seasons when the pandemic first hit, and that had a pretty big impact. Um, I think it even had a bigger impact on Wheel of Time. They they had filmed 
the first six out of eight episodes of the Wheel of Time when the pandemic hit and they had to shut things down for a long, 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 long time. And when they came back, they were able to resume filming, but only with strict guidelines. Like the actors weren't allowed to stand next to each other closer than six feet. So if you watch those final two episodes of the Wheel of Time in season one, the actors are not standing next to each other, you know, or they're standing six feet apart. And, mm-hmm. you know, right. I think that had an impact on things. On your one to 10 scale for season one, I've been telling people, I, I put the, the show at about a six with um with the COVID um, impacting it. I give them a little bit of a pass. So I, I give them a plus one. So seven out of 10. Is, and honestly, and that's about where I put Rings of Power as well. I okay. think that Wheel of Time, um, the first season pretty closely follows the story of book one. So book one, season one, um, with the notable exception that um, they did make some changes. And um, uh, just like with Rings of Power, there was a contingent of people who were not pleased with that. And they were not pleased with the changes in, in Wheel of Time either. The Eye of the World, book one of the Wheel of Time. Tell me if you've heard this one before. It starts in a sleepy little village with four young people living in the village who have never been outside, you know, been in a big city or anything like that. And suddenly there's a dark rider lurking around in town and a magic user comes to town, you know, and this magic user comes to town and says, we got to go. We got to run away from these dark riders. And along the way, you know, they've got another warrior who is the lost king of a nation you know, and all this. So like Jordan intentionally, when he wrote this book in the late 80s, intentionally followed a familiar path to Tolkien. And he yep. did this, come along, reader. This is familiar turf to you. Let's come along. And then at a certain point, and that certain point is book two, which will mm-hmm. be season two, mm-hmm. he says, uh-uh, just kidding. I got something else for you. And you veer off in a completely different way. And in my view, I've always said to people that book one, The Eye of the World, it's great. If you can get through it, it's great. But it mm-hmm. doesn't become amazing until book two in The Great Hunt. And that's yeah. where the characters, and it gets even better three and book four. And book four and five are considered by most people to be, you know, the pinnacle of the series in terms of like just the, the amazing writing and everything else. Mm-hmm. It really finds its stride there. But it's in that second book that the Wheel of Time really stands out and separates itself from the pack shifting gears a little bit to rings of power like you came at that from i love the movies i read the book several years ago what was your experience with rings of power so i came into rings of power very very excited for it i couldn't bring myself to have a high bar i i I set a lower bar for myself because i didn't want to be disappointed and which is kind of so I I set my I I prepared to be disappointed so that I wouldn't be disappointed. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and so, yep. um, and so in that way it exceeded my expectations, and that <laughs> and so I had a positive way. And I know that's a little lot of mental gymnastics for that, but ultimately I knew it was going to be beautiful. It's tough because ultimately you know they're they're writing stories that that Tolkien didn't write. I know there I know mm-hmm. there's um, it's like the the macro story is there, but the micro stories. Right. aren't necessarily there. And um, I think that will get better over time. I, I like how they bring clarity to what the function of the rings are, or at least, and maybe you can answer this, because I, I, I think what the show was trying to say was that the rings will, uh, in, in the show, I know this is not book lore, but can't, I think the show was trying to say that <laughs> 
that the rings, the three elven rings that they made it in the final episode will hold back the decay of the elves. Is that the idea? That the that the Yeah. 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 The show kind of tried to set it up to be like elves are losing the light and therefore of Valinor, yep. therefore we need to somehow have that light. So let's create some odd origin story for Mithril that ties it back to the Silmarils, that ties it back to the two trees of Valinor. Which actually, um, it, yeah, and um, and I recognize that that isn't book lore, and I do recognize yeah. that it's a little convoluted, but at the same time, it's not a bad idea. I mean, like, there is some something kind of neat about it, because even though, and, and you know this more than that, but I having, you know, doing this Tolkien deep dive that I have for the last couple of months and um, and having everything fresh in my mind, I'm still not exactly sure what... Mm-hmm the other rings besides the one ring do like i'm not exactly sure yeah what the three rings and the nine rings like i mean i i know that you know but like what did like when a dwarf lord put on one of the seven rings Mm -hmm. what exactly yeah did that dwarf lord get and what did the elves get and i'm excited that they are going to explore that in the show Mm -hmm. i hope that it just resonates and the whole idea of keeping back the fading, you know, or uh, you know the um, the fading of the light, uh, it, it resonates at least thematically because I I do now as we talked about earlier, I get now like why the elves are, you know, they they're yearning for Valinor, they're wanting to return to it and everything, and I get it, the trees and all that, and so it's okay if in Middle Earth if the, if the light is fading, I can understand that, mm-hmm. you know, that's why they have to leave, and that also makes sense to me that. Once the time of the rings is over at the end of the movies, you know, once the one ring is destroyed and the time of the rings is over, then it makes sense that the light is starting to fade and they all have to go back to Valinor. So that yeah, that works for me. And maybe that's the idea and that's what they're following. Yeah, there's some there's some complications with that, and you know, there's some canonical deviations that <laughs> sure. that, that have been made, right? Because the rings, the elves started to make rings and they did it under the influence of Sauron, who they did not know was Sauron at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they made like the nine rings that eventually were given to men. They made the seven rings that were eventually given to dwarves. And I think in Sauron's mind at that time, he's thinking, I need a way to dominate the other races. I've tried through force of arms and these elves and these men and these dwarfs, they're just too valiant. They're just too strong. I can't beat them through through force of arms. I need a more devious, a more crafty way to dominate these races to my will. Right. And so he comes as Anatar, he poses in a fair form. But what he's able to play into, his his door into the elves is Celebrimbor. And Celebrimbor has a little bit of pride within him. His grandfather was Feanor, who made the Silmarils. Right. And Celebrimbor is just saying, I want to be great like Feanor. Plus, you combine that with the elves who are living in Middle Earth, not in Valinor. The elves are immortal creatures, as we've said, but they're living in Middle Earth, which is a mortal place. Right. And so all around them through time, the slow decay of time, right, as Elrond says about Aragorn, everything is going to die. So the elves, they say, we want to preserve these beautiful lands. We want to make these lands as beautiful and as amazing as what they've got over there in Valinor. Even though we're far away from the Valar, we don't have the Maiar, we're, we're a lot more disconnected from them. 
we want to make Middle Earth like Valinor. So there's a little bit of hubris there in general amongst the elves. You combine that with Celebrimbor, who says, I want to be awesome like Feanor. And then Anatar slash Sauron has a way in. So now he's like saying, now let's let me make these, let me teach you the crafts of ring making and how you can put your power into these rings. So Sauron goes, he's there, he helps them make some rings, he leaves to go make his one ring. While he's gone, the elves perfect their art and craft and they create the three elven rings. And those three rings were really their main purpose or power was to we are going to slow the decay of this mortal world. We are going to preserve these realms that we have within us. So their power was one of preservation. It was one of healing. It was one of, of light. When Sauron comes and he claims the seven and the nine rings, he hands those out to men and dwarves. And what the rings really do is they sort of activate whatever is that core nature of that race. So for mm-hmm. men, they want power and they don't want to die, right? And so those rings sort of stretch out their lives until they become the ring wraiths, right? Neither living nor dead. But for dwarves, dwarves are just super hardy. They're super resilient. But what's kind of the core of their race? They love gold. They're greedy little creatures. And so all the rings really do for the dwarves, they don't come under Sauron's domination, but they sort of kind of go like gold crazy, right? You see a couple of things. There's a couple of scenes in the Hobbit movie right where thorin's kind of going gold crazy a little bit yeah like uh-huh. that's sort of the influence of the seven rings on the dwarves interesting okay yeah i see it i thank you for that explanation that's great um i can see i, I remember too that in the books gandalf said something about you know and you alluded to it too is that gandalf says that you know that before the ring you know before the three and the seven and the nine that we know that the elves were making essays of the craft with Mm -hmm. air quotes, essays of the craft. I take it to mean that they made, you know, rings of lesser power. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. and I always kind of wondered like, what happened to those and what, what do those rings do? And and, yeah. uh, Yeah. It's not clear to me if those essays are referring to like the seven and the nine before they got to the three, mm -hmm. or if they were like, even outside of those, a handful of the great rings. Like I, I, it's not really clear in my mind. It's, you know, Gandalf, there's many magic rings in this world, Frodo, right? So who knows? Yep, who exactly. Knows? Um, and to, to bring it back to the show, I was hoping as a casual fan that the first season would explore some of those essays or that we would see more, that we would see, um, you know, the Anatar that, you know, that we had seen. And now I do like that they, in spirit, you know, they, they hid Sauron. Um, they hit, hid him in a fair form. They um, and they made him relevant to you know. I, as a writer, I see you know they made it relevant to the plot. They stuck him right there under Galadriel's nose, your main character, and that reveal it, that was all well done. I kind of wish we had gotten more than half an episode of him influencing the elves on how to do it, um, you know, on how to make magic rings. But um, yeah, but I am looking forward to kind of seeing. They really did a great job um, with, uh, you know, showing uh, the Isle of Numenor, which after I watched the show, I picked up a copy of um, a new book that was out called The Fall of Numenor. Mm-hmm. Um, it was published, um, edited by Brian Sibley. And um, that was a fantastic, it's 
as far as I can tell, it's kind of like the best compilation of everything we know from Tolkien in the second age um, yep. with a heavy, you know, emphasis on Numenor, of course. And that's where I was learning things about, like, for instance, that, you know, <laughs> Numenor story was originally, you know, Tolkien's, um, you know, version of, of Atlantis, um, based on the fact that he, in real life, had a reoccurring dream of a tidal wave wiping out, wiping him out or whatever. And that's why he was obsessed with Atlantis. And that's what, that's why, and I love that in the show, there are visions of a tidal wave coming. That's right. straight from Tolkien. That's yep. kind of cool. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, bringing this back to the rings. <laughs> so uh, spoiler warning for the show and for the story in general, I guess, if that matters to anyone out there, Sauron comes to Numenor as a prisoner and eventually, you know, he takes control of the island or whatever. But what's interesting to me is that if you, the timeline is such that he has the one ring yes. on him. Like he, he is a, he is physically incarnate. He has the one ring mm -hmm. and he goes to Numenor and then Numenor is destroyed and his body is destroyed. And I don't know how the ring got from Numenor back yeah. to Middle Earth after that. Yeah. He left it behind, <laughs> actually. Yeah. So, so, how did, so how did it get back? If the island sinks. So spoilers. he had the Tower of Baradur, right? He had that tower and he comes with his army. His army sees the Numenorian army led by Arfadazon. And they're like, we're out of here. We're not fighting this war. So his servants sort of leave him. And so he's taken as prisoner, but actually before he had even marched out, he had left the one ring back at Baradur. Why? I, I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> but so he, so he, he didn't left, have it on him. He did he not have it have on it him on when him. he went to Numenor. I can see Christopher Tolkien retconning that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know that's the details okay. on that one. We'll have to look at that one a little bit more. But, and that, uh, that's, and yeah. that's kind of gutsy to leave your, your prized possession behind while you're spending a thousand years in Numenor. Who knows who was sniffing around and, you know, he's lucky Saruman didn't find it or something. Yeah, exactly. Point. I guess Saruman hadn't come at that point. That's true. It was second. Well, Jason, let's, uh, let's, let's wrap this up. Thank you. This has been a really fun conversation. Thanks for uh, exploring all things Wheel of Time and Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of back and forth we could go through there. Um, if our listeners wanted to learn a little bit more about your work, uh, where, where should they go? Yeah, thanks very much for that. So um, I'm on all the social medias um, at Jason Denzel, last name D-E-N-Z-E-L. Uh, but probably the best place is just to go to my website, jasondenzel.com. And um, there you can learn about my books, the Mystic Trilogy, um, about some other projects that I've been working on and um, get links to my social media. I've got a newsletter. And if you sign up for the newsletter, um, you can uh, you know get a, you know, some samples of uh, my books and my writing and things like that. So um, yeah, thanks for checking me out and thanks for having me on the show. I, I, it's been a, I do a lot of wheel of time podcasts and it's, this has been a real treat for me to be able to do a, a Lord of the Rings podcast. And I've been a big fan of it, um, of your show. I've been listening to it, um, you know, every morning when I take my dog for a walk and, uh, <laughs> um, and so it, it's nice to chat with you directly and talk about all this. So thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on and thanks for being a listener. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Raise your hand if this has happened to you today. You're in the middle of work, you're knocking things off the to-do list, getting stuff done, and your kid asks you to play. Do you drop everything? Do you ask them to wait a minute? What do you do? If you're like me, you don't always say yes right away. The kid moves on, you get busy, and you forget to circle back around and play. An opportunity to make a memory has been lost, and the dad guilt settles in. Not so anymore. I've developed a simple game that will enable you to take those small moments and have fun. It's called Dad's Adventure Dice Digital Edition. My five-year-old daughter asks me nearly every day, can we do Dad Adventure Dice? What follows are some quick rolls of the dice that lead to a fun activity with an intriguing twist. Within five or ten minutes, we've had a lot of fun, shared a lot of laughter, and made a memory together. Download your own Dad's Adventure Dice today. Visit store.adventures.dad to download yours. That's store.adventure.dad to download Dad's Adventure Dice.